Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is February the 1st, and we are still continuing our study through the book of Daniel. We have made our way all the way through Daniel 2, Daniel chapter number 9. And last time we were together, we uh, finished verses 1 and 2. So today we'll pick up our study in uh, verse number 3 of Daniel chapter number 9. Just want to encourage you, remember that all of these, uh, all of my studies are in written form on the website. You can check those out. Uh, the audio studies are there, as well as the video studies, if you want to take a look at those. Um, and then also remember that the, uh, the book, the commentary on the book of Acts, a mid-Acts perspective, it can be found on Amazon. You can get it in Kindle. If you have Kindle Unlimited, it's... Uh, it doesn't cost anything, but if you want to buy the book in Kindle format, $9.97, and then the paperback is $15.97. So um, I encourage you to check that out. I know that uh, the first release of it had a lot more typos and structural errors <laughs> than, uh, than I had anticipated, but fortunately, you can go back and edit and uh, just resave. So I ended up sending... Uh, quite a few folks, uh, an updated copy, both uh, in Kindle format as well as the book. So um, if you received one of those that was, uh, that needed some some uh, editing, just let me know. But I think I've got everybody covered uh, now. So, all right then, let's go ahead and open our Bibles uh, to Daniel uh, chapter number nine. And we'll start here. Daniel's prayer for his people. Remember, we talked about how that Daniel, the first eight chapters of Daniel, really has had everything to do with um, the Gentile nations. Um, in Daniel 1, you know, we're told about how Daniel uh, was carried away into Babylon as a very young man. Some people speculate as young as 17, older, you know, an older teenager. Uh, and then Daniel chapter number two, uh, Daniel interprets uh, Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And of course, the dreams all uh, revolve around the Gentile nations, whether it be the beast or whether it be the statue. Uh, it has to do with, starts out with Babylon. And of course, after Babylon, the prophecy is that the Medes and the Persians would rise, and then after the Medes and the Persians would come the Greeks, and after the Greeks would come the Romans, and then would come this this uh, ten-nation confederacy that we refer to as the revived Roman Empire. Uh, we have not seen the revived Roman Empire yet. Uh, when Rome fell, nothing has 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 equaled. Rome. Um, so, but Daniel said, Daniel's uh, vision and his interpretation said there would come a revived Roman Empire. Um, and that is still yet future. It hasn't happened yet. And of course, remember, we talked about this. And again, this is uh, back to my commentary on a mid-Acts perspective. Daniel did not see, neither did any of the Old Testament prophets see um the postponement. They did not see the gap where the church would be. They did not see um, 
the, uh, the period that you and I are living in. Daniel's dreams, I mean, literally went from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greek to Rome to, to revive Rome. Um, and then to the, to, to the kingdom. He didn't see this interlude that you and I are in right now. Uh, none of the Old Testament prophets did. And again, a revolution in my thinking uh, now that I have begun to what many refer to as rightly divide, um, just dividing between what is, is, is prophecy for Israel, what is... Um, has to do with Israel, only Israel. Uh, the entire Old Testament has nothing to do but with Israel. Uh, there's no church in the Old Testament. I mean, you might be able to find uh, shadows or types, or I don't even think you can find those. You might be able to find, uh, you know, certainly some principles, yes. Um, you definitely find the crucifixion of the Messiah. You, you see that weeping servant, um, but you do not see the church. Uh, the Song of Solomon is not about the church. <laughs> it's about uh, the na- God and the nation of Israel. It's not there. Stop trying to make it, you know, to fake it, that it is there. It, it simply is not there. Um, so Daniel didn't see that. Uh, neither did any of the Old Testament prophets see that. And when I say Old Testament prophets, I mean, that comes all the way up through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and until the conversion of Paul. Uh, It simply was not known. It was a mystery that had been hidden since the world began. Only the Apostle Paul was made aware of it. It, it. It was not seen otherwise until Paul was told. So Daniel didn't see. Uh, this Gentile age that you and I are living in now. And then in Daniel chapter number three, you know, we see Nebuchadnezzar's golden image and then how Nebuchadnezzar, you know, praises God and seems to genuinely turn to God. Um, you know, but then Nebuchadnezzar has, has another dream, you know. So Daniel, everything has to do with Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, the handwriting on the wall, Uh, It's all about the Gentile nations. And of course, in Daniel 6, the famous uh, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den under Darius, who was uh, was a Mede. Um, And then chapter number 7, Daniel has his own vision of of these four beasts. And again, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Um, And then we see in Daniel 8, the ram and the goat. And we, we interpreted that. Uh, Alexander the Great, how he works his way into there. And then we come into Daniel chapter number 9, verse number 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the numbers of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So as we talked about, Daniel, by reading the books, and of course, he's referring to uh, the, the, the writings of the Old Testament prophets. By reading those, by studying those, he was able to, after reading Jeremiah the prophet, he was able to understand that they would be 70 years in captivity. 
And we talked about last time why they owed him 70 years, why God exiled them into Babylon for 70 years, because he had placed them in the promised land. He had told them in the book of Jeremiah that if you will not allow the, the, the land to rest, you can sow the land every six years in a row, but in the seventh year you allow the land to rest. And trust me, I'll take care of you. They were in the land for 490 years. And during that 490 years, they did not allow the land to rest. And as a result, God did the math. He said, you owe me 70 years. And they were exiled into Babylon so that the land would have its rest. And then we get down to verse number three. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting sackcloth and ashes. Now here is, is the scene. Daniel knows that the 70 years are almost complete. Matter of fact, we did the math earlier. It, it had been 67 years that since they had been carried away into Babylon. And of course, now they've witnessed, um, you know, um, the fall of Babylon to Medo-Persia, but they're still in captivity. So Daniel realizes at this point by studying, cross-referencing Jeremiah, uh, that their, their time of captivity was almost completed. So he begins to seek God on behalf of Israel. Now, I'm sure that Daniel was thinking about how God had told him about the future of the Gentile nations. But Daniel wanted to know specifically about the nation of Israel. Well, what about us? I mean, we're not Babylon, we're not Medo-Persia, we're not Greece, we're not Rome. You know, what about us? Um, and understand <clears throat> something else. Daniel was almost 90 years old at this time. Because if they were in captivity for 70 years, and if Daniel was 17, 18, 19, 20, 80, 90, I mean, Daniel is an old man at this point. And he's still serving the Lord. You know, I... I believe firmly we're never too old to serve God. You know, uh, in my years of, of pastoral ministry, I have old people that say, well, I've served him long enough. And then I have young people that say, well, I haven't lived long enough. No, you're not too young and you're not too old to serve God. We're supposed to serve God uh, out of our whole being, with all of our being, no matter how old we are. Everything that we do, we are in service to God. We are, into, we are to be in ministry for God. And ministry is not just the guy behind the pulpit on a Sunday morning. You have a ministry. Your ministry is your family. Your ministry is the people you work with. Your ministry is the people that are around you. You are a minister. You are a servant of God. Just like me, I don't pastor a church. A lot of people still call me pastor because I do still pastor a lot of people, but I don't pastor a church. I've entered into a new chapter in my life, you know, but I am in the ministry, as are you, okay? We're never too old to serve God. Now, notice it says that he was fasting with sackcloth and ashes. Now, this was the Jews' way of showing their sincerity, showing their sincerity. Uh, it was very uncomfortable. Sackcloth would be the equivalent of burlap. Uh, very, not silk, uh, very rough, itchy um, uh, fabric that they would place on themselves. And every time they would move, they would remember that 
they are they are fasting, uh, that they are seeking the Lord's will. And understand, uh, I've shared this before. Um, when you fast, you know, which I, I don't necessarily believe we're commanded, you know, verse to fast in the in the New Testament. But some people do, and there's nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't guilt somebody for not or for doing it. But um, the whole point of fasting is not to um, finagle God into doing what you want Him to do. That's not the point of fasting. The point of fasting is to align yourself with God's already predetermined will. In other words, to prepare yourself for what God has already decided that he's going to do. You know, it's just the illustration. If you're in a little boat and you throw your anchor out to land and you pull, are you pulling the land to the boat or are you pulling the boat to the land? You know, you're pulling the boat to the land. You're trying to line yourself with what God has already predetermined. That's the point of fasting, and that's what Daniel is doing here. And then notice in verses 4 and 5, And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and I made confession, and I said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Now, bear in mind, Daniel is talking about the nation of the Jews. The Gentiles didn't keep his commandments. His commandments were not given to the Gentiles. Daniel is talking, he is is speaking of national identification here. He is speaking of the nation of Israel. And he says, we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, and we have done wickedly. We have rebelled, even departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. So Daniel is identifying with his nation. Notice he says, we. Daniel did all that? Well, he's identifying with his nation. As a nation, they had rebelled against God. As a nation, they had done wickedly. They had departed from the precepts and the judgments of God. He's identifying with his people. Um, It's been said, an honest confession will always go a long way toward deliverance. So, um, Daniel is, is identifying with his nation. I remember old preacher said one time, if you have a good excuse, don't use it. <laughs> uh, the only thing worse than failure is trying to excuse it. Any attempt to justify ourselves or defend our actions will get us nowhere with God. But if we'll be honest with him, he'll open the doors of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. So, Daniel is being honest with God. He's identifying with his nation the nation of Israel. It's just like um, in the Mid-Acts perspective that I, the commentary on the book of Acts. When the Lord came at his first advent, um, and there was always going to be two advents of the Lord. I mean, the Lord was going to come the first time. He was going to be crucified, Daniel's 70th week, and then he would come the second time. That was always his plan. Uh, A lot of Bible teachers make it sound like uh, if the Lord, if the Jews would have accepted Christ at his first advent, there wouldn't have been a second advent. You know how many prophecies there are in the Old Testament about second advent? He, it, there had to have been a second advent. Christ had to have been crucified to forgive the sins that were committed under the Old Testament. It had to happen. But what I'm trying to say here 
is that Daniel identified with his nation. He acknowledged his sins. And in the Mid-Acts perspective, I pointed out that when Christ came at his first advent, it required national repentance, not individual repentance. It required the nation to repent and be baptized and to follow the Lord. It was not an individual salvation. The kingdom gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, repent and be baptized that your sins may be blotted out, was not an individual salvation. It was a national salvation. The the thousands that repented in Acts 2, the thousands that repented in Acts 4, it was not enough. The entire nation had to turn and accept Christ as their Messiah in order for the kingdom, for the times of restoration to come. But they didn't do that. Now, the grace gospel that you and I are under is not a national salvation. It is an individual salvation. Um, if if um, you and your house, uh, it, it is... Um, Confess your, uh, what am I trying to say? Romans uh, 10, 9, and 10. Um, Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That's not a national salvation. That's an individual salvation. If you, and if you'll believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So the kingdom gospel was a national salvation. The grace gospel is an individual salvation. Now, Daniel here is identifying with his nation. The entire nation had sinned against God. And, uh, and notice in verse number six, um, neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princesses, our fathers, and all the land, all the people of the land. Now, notice that national identification there. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces. As at this day, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass that they trespassed against thee. So Daniel is acknowledging here. He is confessing that God had kept his part of the agreement, but the Jews had not. God had given them the promised land. He had brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey. And he told them every seventh year, let the land rest. They didn't do it. You see, God's covenants are conditioned upon us keeping our side of the agreement. Now, if these notes were written a very long time ago, um, I would modify this. God's covenants with Israel, God's covenants with Israel were conditioned on them keeping their side of the agreement. Now, why do I say that? Because we are not God's covenant people. We do not live under a covenant today. Many people say, well, we, we're in the new covenant. No, you're not. Um, just because your Bible has a flyleaf in the middle between Malachi and Matthew that says New Testament, 
doesn't mean we're under the New Testament. We're not under the New Testament. Christ came to offer the new covenant to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had lived under the old covenant. And Christ came to bring, to offer the new covenant. They rejected it. Not in their killing of him or their crucifying of him, but in their rejecting the offer of the king and the kingdom at Pentecost. So we don't live under a new covenant. We don't live under any kind of covenant. So any ministry you see that has the name covenant in it, they're not rightly dividing the word of God. We don't live under covenant. So see, I, I in all honesty, God's covenants with Israel were conditioned upon them keeping their side of the agreement. Okay? And then notice in, in verse number 8. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we sinned against you. And again, how did they sin against him? By not allowing the land to rest. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we rebelled against you. Okay? Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord God to walk in his laws that he set before the servants, um, the prophets. So he's saying here, we, we were not obedient. Yea, all of Israel, we've transgressed thy law. And that, that word transgress is different than the word sin. The word sin means to fall short. It means that you didn't do it on purpose. But the word transgress means that you knew better and you did it anyway. It's where we get the word to trespass. When you trespass, you know, it's like if you own a piece of property um, and you want people off of your property, you put up signs that say no trespassing. And once you've put up signs that say no trespassing, you can legally charge people for trespassing. Well, the Lord put up the signs. The Lord told the nation what he expected of them, and they knowingly, willfully rebelled. They knowingly, willingly trespassed thy law. Even by departing that they may not obey thy voice, therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned. So again, Daniel is acknowledging God's judgment of the Jews, and he's saying that it was righteous what he did to the Jews. God's judgments, by the way, are always right. And the word righteous means to be right. If someone is living a righteous life, it means that they are living right in regards to God. Now notice verse number 12. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem." As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer for the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. So um, Daniel here again, is, is he's identifying with his nation. He's talking about how they had knowingly, willfully trespassed against God. 
They defied his judgments. They defied his prophets. Again, he's identifying with his nation. The Jews were and still are God's chosen people. But I'll put a caveat on that. They are not that right now they are they are in blindness. Right now they really don't have a chosen nation status in the, in the sense that God is actively working for them as he did in the Old Testament. Um, because they have been set aside. Um, now God's focus is on the church, which is made of both Jew and Gentile. Uh, and as such, um, because what Daniel, as such, they were under a greater responsibility to obey him. Because Paul points out that the oracles of God were delivered to you. I mean, God told you firsthand what he expected of you, and yet you disobeyed him. It's not like somebody told somebody that somebody that told you. No, God came to you personally and told you, and yet you willfully transgressed his law. Uh, so he's saying they had a greater responsibility to obey him. Luke twelve forty eight. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripe shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So the bottom line, God holds those who know the truth more accountable than those who don't. So that's a principle. While what Daniel is talking about is specific to the nation of Israel, while what Luke is talking about is specific to the nation of Israel, there's still a principle to be found there. And it's that God holds those more accountable who know the truth than those who do not. There's a principle to be found there for sure. Then verse 14, Therefore hath God watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all of his works, which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. As Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. So Daniel is throwing himself and his nation upon the mercies of God. He's identifying, he's acknowledging their sins, he's acknowledging their trespasses, okay? And um, I'm running out of time. I got 25 minutes here. Next time we'll pick up in uh, verse number 15, uh, but I encourage you, study the book of Daniel. Read the book of Daniel. Read it in context. Do not insert yourself in there. Do not insert the church in there. God is dealing with the nation of Israel here in Daniel chapter number nine, dealing with them. They're the ones that broke the covenants, not us. They're the ones upon whom will come um, the blessings that, that, that God is talking about here in regards to the nation uh, and the curses that belongs to the nation. Just remember that. Rightly divide the word of truth is what I'm saying. So next time we'll get into this big portion here, and then Daniel's going to be interrupted by an angel, and God's going to begin to answer Daniel's prayer into what he's going to do with the nation of Israel. God bless you guys. 
Hope that you have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for you, uh, out for your good. Until next time.